to Lakeshore Updates. I'm Dee Dotson. On this edition of the podcast, you'll hear the latest on registering to vote in the May 3rd, 2022 primary election. Carter Barrett reports Hoosiers over 50 and most immunocompromised people are now eligible for a second booster shot. And Chris Nolte has a conversation with Humane Indiana CEO Brian Fitzpatrick about the spring arrival of new bundles of wildlife joy. All of that and more on this edition of Lakeshore Update. Monday is the final day that Northwest Indiana residents can register to vote in the May 3rd primary election if they haven't already done so. The Indiana Secretary of State's office also is encouraging Indiana residents who previously registered to vote to verify that their registration remains active and that the personal information in their voter record is correct. Both registering to vote and verifying a registration can be completed online at indianavoters.com. To qualify to vote, a person must be a U.S. citizen and an Indiana resident for at least 30 days before the election. A utility bill, bank statement, government mailing, or other proof of address is required to complete in-person voter registration. Voters must also be 18 years old, but 17-year-olds can register and vote in the primary election if they will be 18 on or before the November 8th general election. Once registered to vote, Tuesday, April the 5th will be the first day that 10 locations in Lake County will be open for early voting. The list can be seen online on the Lake County Elections and Voter Registration page of the county website. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. The public test of Lake County's voting machines drew interest from residents concerned with election integrity. The Post-Tribune reports three people showed up to last Tuesday's test and recorded video on their cell phones. Maryville resident Susie Barnhart said she's the president of the nonprofit Secure Indiana. She told the newspaper that she does not think there's anything nefarious going on in the Lake County elections, but she felt that questions remain about the 2020 election. Election board members say the five-hour process went well with no major issues. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Community Health Care System dedicated a new 36-bed intermediate care unit last week at St. Catherine Hospital in East Chicago. The $2.7 million inpatient IMCU is now located on the sixth floor of the hospital on Elm Street. It was designed with the enhanced aesthetic features, patient control amenities, and critical care efficiencies for patients. St. Catherine Hospital CEO Leo Carrera says the new unit is keeping with its mission 
to deliver extraordinary, high-quality care to patients in East Chicago and surrounding communities. Carrera says they've experienced steady growth in the need for IMCU services over the past few years, and they expect that to continue. Each room offers an expansive view of Washington Park, the Harbor, or South Lobby campus. Renovation work at St. Catherine's Emergency Department is part of the hospital's expansion project. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. While the Northern Indiana Commuter Transportation District is moving ahead with the double track and west corridor projects, the railroad is also tackling smaller improvements to improve travel times. That includes realigning tracks through some South Shore Line stations. Currently, commuter trains have to slow down and turn off the main line to pull up to high-level platforms at stations like Hammond. Now, the railroad is installing higher-speed turnouts that reverse the pattern, allowing passenger trains to pull straight into the platform while wider freight trains diverge away without having to slow down. NICDI President Mike Nolan says trip times were reduced by a minute and a half when the change was made at East Chicago. The NICDI board has approved the installation of similar turnouts at Hedgewick next year at a cost of almost $1 million. And Nolan says the Hammond station will get the new design when it's rebuilt as part of the Westlake project. That's significant. When you you look around and you take a look at the opportunities to improve our time to market, it's not one big chunk. It's multiple little chunks. And the recent federal infrastructure bill could open the opportunity for more improvements or even grants for larger projects. Nolan said one long-term goal that currently isn't funded is rerouting the tracks in South Bend. We need to determine in South Bend where our ultimate home is going to be, whether it's on the west side of the airport or downtown South Bend or both. Nolan explained the existing Curtis route to South Bend International Airport was only meant to be temporary, but has been in place for 30 years. He said the South Shore Line would eventually like to run almost hourly shuttles between Michigan City and South Bend to improve service to the area and increase access to the airport. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. The South Shore Line's Bike on Trains program is back for another season at bike stations between Dune Park and Millennium Station. But passengers should know that bikes will be prohibited from boarding at the South Bend International Airport while the double track project is underway because of long-term busing. Bikes will be permitted as regularly scheduled from Dune Park Station and West. Bike cars are bike rack equipped in addition to regular seating so that passengers can ride in the car near their bicycles. Bike rack equipped train cars are also clearly marked with a bike symbol prominently located on the windows of the car. 
You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson. Hoosiers over 50 and most immunocompromised people are now eligible for a second booster shot. The FDA and CDC authorized the shots Tuesday. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Carter Barrett reports the State Department of Health says Indiana providers were able to start administering the booster doses on Wednesday, March 30th. If you're 50 and older or 12 and older and immunocompromised, you're now eligible for another booster shot if it's been four months since your last dose. NPR reports that the CDC did not make it clear how urgently people should seek a second booster. However, there's evidence that immunity wanes with age, and older people are at greater risk of serious illness. Underlying conditions also put people at higher risk. It's unclear how popular the second booster will be. Only about a quarter of Indiana's residents have gotten the first booster. For Indiana Public Broadcasting, I'm Carter Barrett. To find a vaccine location, go to www.rshots.in.gov or call Indiana. Two one one. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson. The Indiana Department of Education is offering money to schools, nonprofits, and employers to help shepherd students into high wage careers. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Justin Hicks reports the state is calling it the Explore, Engage, and Experience Grant. Through the grant, the state hopes to increase the number of high schoolers doing work-based learning or earning credentials like associate's degrees while still in school. Then when they graduate, leaders want students to pursue employment, enroll in higher education, or enlist in the military. The projects all have to align with one of the state's latest curriculums for students, next-level programs of study for career and technical education, Indiana College Corps, or graduation pathways. The grants will be funded with $25 million given to the state by the federal government for education-focused pandemic aid. Grant applications are due by mid-May, with awards scheduled to be announced in June. For Indiana Public Broadcasting, I'm Justin Hicks. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson. If you're trying to buy a home, you're in for another tough year to do it. Network Indiana's Kurt Darling reports. Once again, it's a seller's market. We have an incredible level of empathy for anybody trying to buy a home right now. It's tough. Greg Cooper with Compass of Indiana on Inside Indiana Business. He says there are still too many buyers and not enough homes to sell, and higher mortgage interest rates are not scaring prospective buyers off. We have such an overwhelming demand. So many people are still trying to get in homes. In one case this year, he said he had a home sell 28 hours after listing for 31% over asking price. Kurt Darling, Network Indiana. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson. Indiana lawmakers are continuing an effort to change how teachers pay union dues through paycheck deductions. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Justin Hicks reports a new law tweaks previous legislation that a federal judge said likely violated the Constitution. Lawmakers passed a measure last year saying before membership dues can be deducted, teachers must sign a statement every year affirming they know they don't have to join a union. 
Just as the law was set to take effect, a federal judge temporarily blocked it, saying it could be compelled speech. So this year, lawmakers went back to the drawing board. They edited the required statement to say the state of Indiana wishes to make you aware, rather than I am aware. Shannon Adams is president of the Martinsville Classroom Teachers Association, which is a party in the ongoing lawsuit. She says to her, it's still compelled speech. I feel like the case stands. I think this is a constitutional issue, and I think people's rights are being infringed upon. The final decision on the lawsuit surrounding the original legislation is pending. For Indiana Public Broadcasting, I'm Justin Hicks. Adam says she and other teachers did not lobby strongly against the language this year because there were other education legislation they felt deserved their full attention to combat. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Schools will be limited to using just three e-learning or virtual learning days each year under a new Indiana law. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Jenny Lindsay reports schools were surprised by the change and one of the state's largest school districts says some will be challenged by it more than others. The new law includes requirements for what a virtual learning day looks like and if schools need more than three of them a school year, they'll have to apply for a waiver. But the sudden change by lawmakers has left many unanswered questions about how it will work. Fort Wayne Community Schools spokesperson Krista Stockman says disruptive weather, like snow, means some schools will likely have to navigate the limit more carefully than others. It really hits the schools in the northern part of the state much more than the southern part of the state. More information is coming soon, though. The Indiana Department of Education says it's building a virtual learning day certification process for schools if they need more flexibility. For Indiana Public Broadcasting, I'm Jeannie Lindsay. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Ever since Russia invaded Ukraine, Americans have watched gas prices skyrocket. But people who deliver for apps like Uber Eats, DoorDash, or Amazon Flex have been hit especially hard. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Jacob Lazaro spoke with three Michiana gig workers on how rises in gas prices are cutting into their income. Yona has driven for DoorDash for four years and Amazon Flex, Amazon's package delivery service, for about 10 weeks. At the start of the pandemic, he says he was making 30 to $35 an hour, sometimes as high as 40 an hour. Like, I didn't want to stop working. I didn't want to leave my car. The 23-year-old, who requested I only use his first name, says gig work was nice because it was flexible. He's also taking online college classes. Yona mostly drives for Amazon now because it's been the best way to make money, but that income really fluctuates. I try not to move my car unless I'm making a minimum of $25 an hour. And the rise in gas prices has a big negative impact. It's actually biting into a sizable chunk of what you make. Yona says Amazon started sending its in-house van drivers on the shorter routes and giving the longer, rural ones to flex drivers, effectively passing on the higher fuel costs. At the same time, he says Amazon lowered their pay. Amazon's base rate for us South Bend drivers was $23 an hour. They lowered those base rates to $21 an hour, and they have a whole influx of new drivers. Amazon spokesperson Kelly Nantel said in an emailed statement that the company's delivery partners play an important role in serving customers, and that flex drivers earn over $26 per hour on average. But Yona says high gas prices, coupled with the amount of new drivers, mean there is less work and profit for everyone. 
and that feels kind of predatory. They could definitely give us a fair market value while still taking home a great amount of money. So, Yona's moving back in with his parents in New York City. It's something he was planning on doing eventually, but his decreasing income accelerated the decision. He's got about a year left in classes for his university degree, and isn't sure what he wants to do next. But Yona says he's looking for structure and stability, something he obviously would not find with gig work. According to AAA, South Bend gas prices are currently averaging around $4.14 a gallon, up from $3.54 a month ago and $2.61 a year ago. Rachel Blakeman is the director of Purdue University Fort Wayne's Community Research Institute. She says that matches up with Midwest data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. February 21 to February 22, gasoline prices went up 34.5%. So that's a significant jump. She says that's difficult for people and companies to absorb. Gas prices have been higher in the past, for example in 2008, but Blakeman says that was an outlier when compared to the cost of everything else, something that's not true today thanks to inflation, which is at the highest rate in 40 years. For many of us, this is our first time experiencing this kind of inflationary pressure across the board. Those increased costs are also impacting Ryan Warner. He used to work full-time as a massage therapist, but his hours were cut way back during the pandemic, so he started driving for Uber Eats to make ends meet. On a good night, he can earn $16 to $18 an hour, but when it's slow, it's closer to $8 an hour, before taxes and expenses. I would say over the last few months, and this month in particular, the income has definitely come down. He's paying nearly twice as much to fill up his car than in January. And in response, he's driving less. He says it's now easier to actually lose money by accepting a delivery because of the distance traveled. When you take the food to the destination, that's the only trip you get paid for, so you don't get paid for coming back. So if you take an order way out there, you basically are eating the cost to come back to kind of a hot spot to get another order. Uber introduced an additional payout of 55 cents per delivery in response to higher gas prices. But that payout is the same whether the delivery is one or five miles, and it's also a little less than the federal mileage reimbursement rate. It felt like a slap in the face, especially because I just started another job doing home health for physical therapy, so driving to the patient's home. There, he gets reimbursed 55 cents per mile, with an additional 30 cents for the next 60 days in light of the high gas prices. And he's an employee, not an independent contractor, getting paid about $35 an hour. Warner says Uber helped him cover expenses and put food on the table when his hours were cut. But with his new job and the declining pay, he doesn't see a reason to continue putting in the extra work. For people like myself where it's not necessary anymore, there still is an appeal to do it because of the flexibility. But at the end of the day, it just needs to be worth it. But the opposite is true for Tom Russell. Despite higher gas prices, he plans to keep driving. The difference? He delivers full-time for Dine-In, a local company that only serves Michiana. He's driven for the company for the past 21 years. At the start of the pandemic, he was working 60 to 70 hours a week. Now, he's cut back to around 40 hours, and a typical day means he's driving 100 to 150 miles. I have driven just about everywhere you can think of at this point. Russell is still an independent contractor, but he's usually earning around $26 or $27 an hour. That's made up of a delivery fee per order, which scales based on distance, and tips. I always look at the bigger picture of these things because me working for Dine-In for so long, I've seen the peaks and valleys of gas prices. Russell says his profit has gone down, but he's still making a decent income. And unlike Warner and Yona, he has no plans to stop driving anytime soon. We have to ride this thing out and let it go. And I choose not to focus on, on the things I cannot control. For Indiana Public Broadcasting, I'm Jacob Lazaro. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson. Spring is here, bringing an influx of new bundles of joy to humane Indiana 
which operates a shelter and adoption center in Munster and a wildlife rehabilitation and education center in Valparaiso. CEO Brian Fitzpatrick spoke with Lakeshore Public Radio's regionally speaking host Chris Nolte about how busy the month is for staff members at both facilities. But he says it's a labor of love. The uh, month of uh, April really is a, a kickoff of the baby season for us on both wildlife side and the dog and cat side. So uh, this year we're doing something a little bit different. We're kicking off a week-long uh fundraising drive and for folks to be able to come and see the shelter or come to the Wildlife Center and meet the director and really look to stock our shelves so that we can help all those little kittens and puppies that come our way and all the injured and orphaned wildlife that comes our way. How many people uh, make a trip out to the uh, Wildlife Rehabilitation and Education Center over in Valparaiso? Last year we took in over 3,200 injured or orphaned animals. So every one of those animals has a person connected to it. But we also do programs on the property as well. So I would imagine there's two, 3,000 people a year come out there. Wow. Now, and then turn, uh, how many folks stop by the the shelter located in, in Munster, uh, not only to uh, to bring uh, maybe uh, injured pets in or certainly uh, if they want to adopt a pet? Yeah. Uh, last year, 2,600 animals came out of that shelter, dogs and cats, and uh, which is our biggest impact year ever. Wow. But there are p- plenty of people that come every day just to you know feed hot dogs to the dogs or get their, their dog or their cat fix and just spend some time with the animals because maybe they're at a point in their life now where they really can't have any animals or live somewhere where they can't bring animals into their home. Uh, so they come to get their fix that way, too. Now, let's take a look at the the, the schedule as it's set up, uh, starting on April 2nd, which is a Saturday, from noon till 3. I understand that's when uh, the most uh, people can come out to the uh, Wildlife Rehabilitation and Education Center, Education Center to check things out. Yeah, that's going to be a great day for us. It's going to be a kickoff, like I said, of the of a week-long of uh, celebration. And uh, meet the wildlife director, Nicole. We've got a couple of ambassador wildlife animals that have not, you know, none, because of their injury, they're not able to be released. So we've got some owls and some hawks and skunks and possums. And so Nicole has those animals with her as well. So you'll be able to meet them, get a couple of great pictures and get a better understanding of what this, uh, this great mission does. How about on Monday the 4th and through that entire week through Saturday the 9th? I guess that's when you're really looking forward to to get the most collections in because of all the, the newborn animals? Yeah, uh, that's going to be, that's typically year over year, this is the week that everything begins. So yes, Monday the shelter will begin that same process in celebration week. But culminating on Thursday, we're going to have a ribbon cutting because we added this year a foster clubhouse. And this is where we will stock supplies and we will have the, the baby kittens and puppies that can't go out into the shelter yet or can't be uh, uh, set up for success yet with, the, with their spay neuter. They have to go home with somebody. So we put them in that foster clubhouse so they're not in the general population. People will be able to come and see this room and all the attractions with it. They'll be able to tour the shelter, and uh, so we'll be doing that Thursday, uh, ribbon cutting, and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, mm-hmm. we'll be doing kitten cuddle time. There'll be some games and activities throughout the day that people will be able to come and see and uh, just get a, a better sense of what this whole uh, operation is about.
We're talking with Brian Fitzpatrick, who is the CEO of Humane Indiana, which is based in Munster. And I understand, Brian, that the, this is a really a, a very, very tough time uh, for, for many uh, opportunities to, to take care of animals in the wild, certainly. And then you end up with many of them at the uh, at the adoption center in Valparaiso. And, and for that matter, too, that a lot of people have to bring uh, pets in uh, that maybe they not able to take care of there to the shelter in Munster. But I understand that, that really there's also a growing need for an organization called Crisis Foster Care. Will you tell us about that, what they do, and, and how it all fits in together with the Humane Indiana? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, we have seen the need, that, you know, the ups and downs of the last two years have been, you know, very stressful on the organization, as stressful as it has been on everyone in, around in the world. Uh, so the you know people that were affected by the pandemic, whether they actually got COVID and were hospitalized and couldn't take care of their pet, or they've had an impact of their job that their job was forced to close and they couldn't take care of their pet. Ideally, we don't want the dogs or cats to come into the shelter. We want to do everything we can to keep the dog and cat with the owner. That's the best thing for the animal. And then certainly, uh, you know, there's a uh, Unfortunately, uh, battered women are impacted that they will not leave a domestic violence situation because their pet is there. So there's different people's houses burned down. They can't keep their pets. So there's a, there's a, a need for us to take the pet to help the people get back on their feet and then reunite them with the pet by using our foster, uh, our foster set, uh, center. Um, that's why that the importance of that uh, foster clubhouse is to have all those supplies. But we need people that still we need. There's a, a great need for people that would be willing to foster a pet until that pet can be reunited with their owner. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we don't want to bring the pet into the shelter. We don't. We're not in the business to uh, collect and and rehome. We want to keep these pets. It's the best thing for the pet to stay with a family and not come into a shelter environment unless they de- de- necessarily have to. So the, so the Crisis Foster Center has been a really big, very, very strong impact a part of the organization to help folks in the region, and no one wants to give up their pet. And so if they can be reunited with their pet after they get through whatever that trauma is that's in their life, that's really a, that's a, that's a great thing to be able to do. Do you have any community partners that, that work with uh... The, the folks at uh, Humane Indiana on on this particular project on the Foster Clubhouse. Well, we've had uh, we we applied for uh, a grant and we uh, have had some wonderful donors that have contributed to help us get this up off the ground. Of uh, uh, any community partner that we work with, and we have about fifty very good community partners and various businesses throughout the region who contribute to the organization. And we, you know, with however they contribute, that offsets another cost or, or enables us to be able to put programs like this together. Brian Fitzpatrick is the Chief Executive Officer of Humane Indiana. Regionally Speaking with host Chris Nolte is on air and online at 11 a.m. Mondays through Fridays on Lakeshore Public Radio and at lakeshorepublicradio.org. For the latest in local news and information, tune in Monday at 6 a.m. for Morning Edition with local host Chris Nolte. Lakeshore Update is supported by the listeners and members of Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM. Podcasts for Lakeshore Update are posted each Friday on our website, lakeshorepublicradio.org, 
as well as on NPR One. Make sure you search for WLPR and select us as your home station. Music for Lakeshore Update was written and produced by bensound.com. For Lakeshore Update, I'm Dee Dotson.